Have you ever wondered what communion is and what baptism is? Why bread and why juice? Why are we dunking people into water on a stage? Well, let's talk about it on an all-new podcast from C28. Good, solid questions here. Yeah. They are good questions. They are. They've been uh, they've been asked since our first season. People That's have been true. wanting us to cover these questions. Yeah. Speaking of seasons, what is this episode, CJ? Uh, this is our love. Oh, <laughs> I was like, well, you did just do the intro. <laughs> that felt like a trick question. This no. is our last episode of season two. That's right. Last episode of season two going out with a bang. Going out with a bang. Or a dunk. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> this is why We're I do gonna this We're going to make a real you. splash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so we're going to end this season talking about communion and baptism. This brings our episodes to uh, 10. We really wanted to get 11, uh, but there's one episode we just couldn't get together. It involves several people. We'll have to get that next uh, next season. But uh Kind of open us up with some with, with what, why we would talk about communion and baptism. Why do you think people are asking about it? So, other things that we've talked about in the podcast, I think, are um, very broadly accepted across most traditions uh, within Christianity. When we talked about like who is God, um, I think that m- most traditions in Christianity are going to agree um, almost down to the finest detail on that. Um, when we talked about uh, where we go, you know, when we die, I think most traditions in Christianity are going to agree on that and or should agree on those things. Um, this one is tricky because when it comes to what some refer to as the ordinances or the sacraments of the faith, there is a lot more um, discussion around those things. So uh, some people will, instead of um, baptizing by immersion, like we do as Baptists, they're going to sprinkle, right? They're, um, they're not going to uh, dip into water. And some will sprinkle with water and some will sprinkle with oil. Um, some will baptize their babies via sprinkling and some will still only baptize adults, but they'll want to sprinkle, right? And so there's these different approaches to it and different understandings of what the Bible is saying when it comes to this. And the same goes for communion. Um, what communion actually is, is a discussion amongst different traditions within Christianity, right? So um, you've got, I think I was talking about the Lutherans, right? That don't believe that the bread and the wine, and if you're Lutheran and listening and I get this wrong, you can correct me and I won't delete your comments. Grace, that's what we're asking for. Yeah, this is just my understanding, my limited understanding, is that Lutherans don't believe um, that the bread and the wine literally become Jesus, but they believe that he... Um, the second member of the Trinity is literally present, right, um, at each communion. And so you're saying Jesus. Jesus, yes. Okay. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah, right. So Jesus is present. Mm. So the those things are not actually his blood and his body, but he is physically present when that's being administered. Um, and then others believe, so like the Roman Catholics would say uh, that the bread and the wine literally become the um, the blood and the body of the Jesus. literal blood and the literal body you're of actually Christ. eating the like him. Yep. Right. Over and over and over. Um, anyways, so there's these different views, right? And this becomes uh, complicated and convoluted. 
Um, and so what we're going to do today is, I think, um, is not necessarily interact with every single one of those. Um, we're going to present it as we see it as Baptists. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Just, I think that our goal is like, like if somebody's like, I've heard of this and what is, and I've actually done it, but like, what is it? And right. and hopefully if you've taken communion at a church, you're a believer first off. And second off that your pastor has taken moments, maybe not every time, but taken moments to explain what it is and read passages of scripture as you do it. So we remember what we're remembering. Right. Right. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So let's, let's start with baptism because I think that one is more of like, uh, the fun one for everybody mm-hmm. to debate for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like I have really good Presbyterian friends that we give each other a hard time constantly yeah. about whether we baptize babies or yeah, not. It used to right? be not so funny. Right. But <laughs> they took it way too far at one point <laughs> in church history yeah. and started drowning Baptists. Yeah. Um, so that's not cool. Taught us a lesson. Right. And now like they let me go to school with them and stuff. So yeah. it's, yeah, things are different. <laughs> and, they, and they just kind of take like, you under their wing. Right. The reform tradition, <laughs> the Baptist tradition kind of hugged it out, I think. And yeah. Now there's some like brotherly jesting that yeah. isn't happening. Well, speaking of that, if I could just, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 68, how many sacrament, sacraments? <laughs> you like that? Go ahead. Yeah. Go sacraments? Ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Are you from Louisiana? Dang <laughs> <laughs> on sacraments. <laughs> I, I went to type in uh, how many sacraments and it took oh. me to Craigslist for Sacramento. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it's uh, question number 68 in the Heidelberg Catechism is how many sacraments has Christ appointed in the New Testament? Uh, their answer is two, holy baptism and holy supper. So uh, let's talk about holy baptism. Okay. As CJ said, was a good one to start off with. So Brian, do we baptize babies as Baptists? We do not. However, um, I don't get super upset necessarily at people who do baptize infants. Although I think that there's a portion of something that we obviously would disagree on in the interpretation of scripture. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in this, I think represents my Presbyterian friends well, that it, and if he doesn't just, just fire back at those comments, let CJ have it, let him know. (laughs) Deontay will let me know. Don't worry. Yeah. That's who I'm thinking of. Um, I, I think it just comes down to a hermeneutical difference, like how we're interpreting certain passages. Um, and I, like the Westminster confession, right? It's not necessarily my confession. So I'm, I'm speaking right out of my lane here a mm-hmm. little bit, but it talks about, um, in interpretation, uh, things that are good and necessary, um, implications, I believe, or did deducing what is good and necessary from the text. And we differ like Baptists and the reform tradition differ on what is good and necessary to deduce from the text. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I were to try and put it in a nutshell, I think that my press. Hold on. There we go. All right. <laughs> Tom Medley and his motorcycle <laughs> went by again. <laughs> I think that my Presbyterian friends are deducing something that that could potentially be good from the text. I don't think it's a necessary mm-hmm. uh, implication from the text, which it, we're talking about infant baptism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I can understand and I've seen and I've been through the classes at seminary. Um, that have taught this and made the case for it. So I understand why they believe it. Mm-hmm. I, I am not convinced. Um, my my soul is not convicted. My conscience isn't bound that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. So that's probably where I would land on it. Yeah. And because of that, I, I just can't get on board with infant baptism. Yeah. I think I feel the same way. And if we were just to summarize simply 
how the Presbyterian uh, faith comes to that, mm-hmm. we would we would would it be too simple to say that they essentially take Old Testament circumcision and mm-hmm. say that uh, infant baptism is the New Testament circumcision? Yeah, it's the equivalent. Yeah, right. So it's both covenants have a have an outward sign. Yeah, and when the old covenant is done away with that the physical act of circumcision is no longer the sign and that infant baptism takes its place. Mm -hmm. So that they see baptism as a sign saying these people are part of the covenant community of God. Mm -hmm. And we would say you can't be part of the covenant community of God unless you've placed your faith in Jesus. Which would And we can't know. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, no, it's good. I'm interrupting you. But we can't know that an infant has done that. So that infant, we would be doing something wrong by giving that sign right to a baby. Right. Not that I, I believe that God can regenerate people in the womb as infants. Um, we see something like that with John the Baptist, right? Oh, but, you and that. Uh, <laughs> so that, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm yeah. saying we have no way of knowing. Yeah. So we need a, a credible confession of faith yeah. to be able to baptize someone and then give them the sign of one, um, uh, dying to themselves and being raised again to life, right? Just like Jesus. Um, and also being part of that covenant community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is why we come to the conclusion that we baptize adults upon confession of faith. Nope, that's not true because a secular <clears throat> definition of adults. We baptize people based upon a confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yep. yep. And so that could be kids. Right. Uh, that can be adults, uh, but not infants before they can talk. Right. So uh, with that, I would just start out. I'll just give kind of my my basis for that. And then you can kind of uh, go off of that and we'll see where we end up. Um, the reason why, uh, why I believe that people should be baptized who are followers of Jesus and have a confession, confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and savior. The ancient Jews were baptizing converts to show their need to be cleansed by God. Right. And so there's this demonstration that, uh, we need to be cleansed by God starting, you know, in the ancient Jewish culture. Then we have John the Baptist uh, before Jesus died on the cross and rose again, baptizing people, Jews and Gentiles alike, as he prepared the way for Jesus to come and teach that all need to be cleansed, all need to repent, and all need to be forgiven. And then we see Jesus himself be baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And then as Jesus concludes his earthly ministry, we can go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and we see Jesus command that we go and we make his disciples and then that we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey the commands. I'll read the text for you here. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, and Jesus, and this is at the end of his earthly ministry, he has been crucified on the cross. He has been buried in the tomb. He has arose again, and now he is about to ascend to heaven. In the same way, we'll see him return later. Uh, But before he ascends to heaven, he says this to his disciples. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of age. And so from ancient Jewish culture, they were baptizing people, showing that they need forgiveness of God and cleansing. And then John the Baptist came. He was baptizing, preparing the way for the Lord to come and teach that all need to be cleansed. And then Jesus will teach how you are cleansed. And then Jesus himself is baptized. And then as he leaves uh, and ascends to heaven before he uh, does that, he teaches, make disciples 
first. As they become disciples, then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey the commands in the way that I've taught. And that is the great commission. And so then we go off and we do that. And so our best hermeneutical uh, explanation of that and understanding of that is that uh, followers of Jesus are baptized. Yeah. And so where uh, our Reformed friends or Presbyterian friends, they would see a greater continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant than we see, right? We Mm -hmm. see something wholly new. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would argue, I believe, that where that there's nowhere um, that it explicitly says that you shouldn't, right, um, baptize infants. There's nowhere that it explicitly says that um, the the outward sign of the covenant community given to infants is done away with. Mm-hmm. So they would say because of those things aren't said, then we should continue them. Yeah. Because we're not told to discontinue them. I think our point is, it also is that um, although we don't agree, we don't take major issue with somebody else in that we wouldn't do that, but we would rebaptize that person later <laughs> if they would like. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. So we do a lot of cleanup work as Baptists. Oh my gosh, you as, gotta start a fire. As people jump shit. Deontay's and- <laughs> shaking right now at the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. So um and just just so everyone knows, like it's brotherly oh yeah, love and teasing, right? Yep. Like I one hundred percent these other traditions are brothers in Christ and uh, we work together, we partner together in gospel ministry. So mm-hmm. um this stuff is important, yep. otherwise we wouldn't be talking about yeah. it. So it's very important. And I think that one of us is an error in our understanding of these yeah. things, or maybe both of us, right? Um, that could also be the case. So it's worthy of, of study, deep study. It's worthy of conversation. Um, I don't think that it's a source of um, division other than congregational meeting separately, yeah. right? Because as a Baptist pastor, I couldn't in good conscience uh, baptize a baby, mm-hmm. right? So that, that would make me a bad pastor for a Presbyterian family. Yeah. So Presbyterian family should go to a Presbyterian church, right? Because yeah. they're pastoring good yeah, conscience. We'll, we'll see in heaven. We'll have, we'll have dinner after service. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we Deontay have somebody that goes apologize. to our church. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Deontay. Uh, I don't know why he keeps coming. I know. Just so he, people know, Deontay is somebody that CJ met in school, which is a yeah. Presbyterian school. Yes. And so yeah. that's why they got these little jokes. And we actually yeah. have some people that go to our church that would that do believe that um, at the very least that it is um, acceptable to baptize an infant. Yeah. You know, and we do ministry with, with that, with that, with that man also. Yep. You know, good, absolutely. Good God fearing regenerated man. Right. So this is what um, the 1689 Baptist confession of faith says uh, the very first line about baptism. Baptism is an ordinance of the new Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized a sign of his fellowship with him in his death and resurrection of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins and of giving up into God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. So is is baptizing, is that like when you're saved, like you get baptized and then you're saved? No. So this is uh, a sign of his fellowship with what has already taken place. This is a sign of what has already taken place. Gotcha. Um, Key distinction between us and other traditions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we believe that when somebody places their faith in Christ by the work of Christ alone, then they are regenerated and redeemed. And then, and I've heard it said this way, and I like this phraseology for myself, that the first step of obedience for a believer is stepping out and 
being baptized. It's like one of the first commands, like you, you're, you're saved now, you're a disciple now. Right. Now be baptized. Right. And, uh, and it is, it's, it's a public sign of something that has already happened with you and is happening. Um, it represents cleansing. It represents uh, being buried with Christ. It represents raising the new life with Christ and having new life in Christ as uh, s- symbolic uh, tentacles of being washed in the blood of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> So it symbolizes a lot of what has done by the power of Christ on the cross. And that's partly why we do it in public. I mean, there are examples like Ethiopian eunuch who has probably done more in private. We have the thief on the cross who was never baptized. And yet Jesus said, I'll see you in paradise. So right. uh, we know that it's that, uh, that you can, if you give your, give your, uh, if you put your place, your faith in Christ and, and die in a car wreck on the way to church to get baptized, you're still going to heaven because it's not baptism that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. Right. Also, we know that uh, that if there if you are baptized in private, that that still counts as baptism. Although I think the leaning and the idea of it is that it's done more in a public setting. But I don't believe that necessarily means it has to be done in front of the entire congregation either. So right. there's a couple nuances, right? Yeah. No, I think that's good. Um, bapti- baptism doesn't save. Baptism is a sign of what has happened in your continued commitment to Christ. Yeah. Right? Love it. I think that's it. So what about communion? What is that now? Let's shift gears. Let's hit the clutch. Shift into communion here. Okay. Uh, in Luke 22, it, I don't have the text here, but it uh, Luke, I know Luke 22 is often the, the section I go to also. And there's a section of 1 Corinthians when we lead communion. And it's uh, Jesus having this meal with his disciples. And actually, from my understanding, Jesus doesn't actually partake with it because he says, I, will, I won't partake of this again until I'm with you, uh, indicating I've headed to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to die um, on the cross, be crucified, uh, expiate sin, uh, have the propitiation of sins, absorb the wrath of God in your place, be buried, raised to new life, ascend to heaven, and I will eat this with you again when I return. And it's like fulfilling this promise of you eat, and you remember and so there's these two um oh there's a word for it what is the there's a word elements there's two elements used Mm -hmm. in order to communicate something that jesus himself wants his people to remember he wants them to remember his body on the cross broken for us and also the blood shed that covers and washes sins yep right yep and so he tells us to do this as often as we come together or as often actually doesn't say as often as we come together as often as we eat this do this in remembrance of him which would be to some degree often and it's to remember what he's done on the cross to refocus mankind if you're a follower of jesus and you're listening right now the idea is is that communion brings your heart and your mind and soul back together to focus on the things of heaven and not of earth and remember what Christ has done for you, which I think is the catalyst, the fuel, the fire that then drives us to be able to live godly and holy lives is remember what Jesus has done for us in our place and that communion is remembering those things. And so I think that uh, since that is the intent and goal, I don't believe that what Jesus is teaching in any of these passages is that uh, it's not cannibalism. It's not cannibalism. It's it's not drinking the drinking blood. It's not uh, eating his body. Although um, there were uh, there were confusions early on where they thought Christians were cannibals because they're they're eating Jesus, and there mm-hmm. had to be clarifications made. And uh, and there's still you know like the Catholic Church still believes that uh, it transforms into uh, the body and blood of Christ, and it's like literal physical body and blood of Christ. And we don't believe we believe that it's unleavened bread and grape juice or wine and uh and then we take that and it, it we're supposed to be reminded 
of something. Remember, remember, remember. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so again, going back to the confession, um, that's what it says. It says in chapter 30 of the Lord's Supper, the supper of the Lord, Jesus was instituted by him the same night wherein he was betrayed to be observed in his churches unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance and showing forth the sacrifice of himself in his death. Right? What a beautiful thing to be commanded to remember time and yeah. time and time again. Yeah. And it goes on and talks about um, the the spiritual nourishment that comes from this or the part that's being remembered. Right. And so I like how the Heidelberg Catechism talks about it. Um, and if I'm stealing something from something no, you're going to say, but go ahead. So uh, Q&A 75 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, the question is, how does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? This is the answer. In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command comes these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and his poured out blood. That's a great answer Yeah. when talking about what is the Lord's Supper? What is communion? Right? Yeah. Stealing so all my Heidelberg stuff, man. I was on a roll with were Heidelberg. Were you going to read that same quote? <laughs> yeah, but I don't actually see it now. I don't. Okay. They might be at the top. But yeah, the Heidelberg Catechism is kind of my jam right now. But anyways. Oh, it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's almost devotional. Yeah. It's theological, but you could absolutely... I mean, so it was actually designed um, to be used on Sunday mornings, right? Mm-hmm. This is the Lord's Day section mm-hmm. for... In the, it's a one for each week of the year. Almost in a, an apologetic style. Here's a question. Here's the here's the defense. Right. Of why it. should here's I believe answer. that? Yeah, this is why you should believe that. Shoot. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah, and it's old too. Right. It's old. It's like it's like leather leather coat and an old motorcycle <laughs> smoking a cigar. Old. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I think um, another there one thing to remember also um, with bread and um, wine is that it represents uh, the body and blood of Christ, right? And Throughout Scripture, uh, the the bread of life is Jesus, yeah. right? In John chapter six, verse thirty-five, it can, communicates, including various other places. And so, it's no surprise then that He uses bread again, like the thing that sustains us day in and day out, and even right. in the Lord's prayer, right? Like it, it's all it, it all comes back to that. Really, what sustains us, what's the center of our needs, is uh, is is the Lord. Right. And then um, wine referring to blood shed for us. I, uh, I made this connection and uh, it just it just rolls around in my mind constantly. Uh, um, when the Israelites were uh, captive in Egypt, uh, the angel of death was going to pass over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the only thing that protected you was the blood of the lamb being spread upon uh, the doorpost. And they says that they took like hyssop branches, right? Uh, the same branch that was used to try to get wine uh, to Jesus on the cross, and the same concept of blood covering you, protecting you from the angel of death. And so there is th- what I'm, my point is that there are there are these uh, 
these concepts, these elements that have been brought throughout Old Testament into New Testament that all point to Jesus. And so when we look at communion, those, those are the things that we need to keep in mind is that Jesus is trying to draw us back to himself, back to himself and yep. what he is, what God has done for us in our place. And we remember that. And when people um, really want to know, like, how do I get through this life? I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying the God of the universe said, you need me. Yeah. And the nourishing and sustaining power, yeah. right? That's what the confession says. Yep, exactly. And yeah. I just, and I think that that's, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that, that our Lord knows us, but we need to be reminded and brought back to him and that truth and yeah. what he has done in our place and who our God is and who we are. Yeah. And he's always used these things to point to himself. Like, so I ended the last uh, sermon that I preached talking about this, but um, in the, in the old Testament, the Passover is by faith anticipating what Jesus would do. And then I said that communion is remembering in faith what Jesus did, right? So both um, the in the Old Testament, we're being pointed towards Jesus. And in the New Testament, we're being pointed back towards Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the center is him. So the focal point of all of redemptive history is Jesus at the center. Bingo. And these two, um, these two things that were instituted both have that same purpose of pointing towards um, the anticipation of what would happen and the remembrance of what was done. And both of those things, the anticipation and the remembrance provide hope for the future. Absolutely. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you place your faith in Christ alone and you're not baptized, you should talk to your pastor. Um, and, and I, if you're one of those people like, well, I don't want to bug my pastor or something. I would say, go bug your pastor, man. Because this is a good one. <laughs> yeah. These are the things that encourage your pastor. You know, go talk to him and be like, Hey, you know, I was thinking about things and listen to this podcast called C28. And, uh, <laughs> they were talking about like, you know, uh, what baptism is and, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. I think I need to be baptized. Yeah. I think I need to take that step of obedience, mm-hmm. um, and be baptized. And, uh, and I think that, I think that would be encouraging for your pastor, be encouraging for, for you, be encouraging for your congregation. And, and most importantly, it's obedience to the Lord who instituted that. Um, with, as far as communion, uh, followers of Jesus take communion. If you're not a follower of Jesus and, and you're listening to this because you're like, hey, I'm curious, somebody turned me on to the C28 podcast. When that communion comes around, and we can get into this to a, a different episode, but just let that pass by. Um, you counting the cost of discipleship, learning who Jesus is, your church evangelizing you and loving you, uh, I would encourage you to place your faith in, in Christ, but until you have, uh, let that go by so that when you're partaking in that, you're remembering what has been done for you um, and not anything else. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's good. I think I think we covered a lot in a short amount of time. This is probably going to be one of our shortest podcasts, but before we end, what I'd like to do is talk about next season a little bit. So let me read through a couple of these um, ideas, uh, topics, discussions that got sent in to us, and then uh, um, CJ, go ahead and share what's on your heart about it. Um, a couple of things that came in, they are asking us to talk about apologetics and why we need them. Uh, they actually asked about ordinance and sacraments, which we, we, we can check off. We just did it. Um, <laughs> talking about other religions, specifically Catholicism, talk about God's judgment. That's a that's a that's a big topic that sometimes people are scared to talk about. Talk about worship music, tithing, giving, media, social media, why believe the Bible, what is prayer, how to pray, uh, how to approach the Sabbath, our role in evangelism, uh, discipleship, training up children, differentiating between types of uh, Old Testament laws. Uh, they go on to talk about, uh, you know, like 
head coverings, jewelry, braids, things like that. Um, talk about piece cre- of cake. <laughs> talk about Christian liberty. Um, you know, what's the other phrase I'm missing? Uh, Christian nationalism, stuff oh, yeah. like that. Um, uh, theology and knowledge that puffs up. Like, what are the dangers in that and how to manage mm-hmm. that? Um, what if I don't feel God? That's a good one. And then also the sovereignty of God. So those are a couple of the things that uh, came up as well as they're requesting. We would start recommending some more books and resources so that um, if we ever have a couple week gap again, that uh, they can be filling themselves with uh, some some books that we've recommended. So yeah. that's what we've kind of got on the table thus far for season three. So we will be taking a break for uh, probably two months as we kind of prepare. And we'd like to do some interviews, some street interviews with people and implement those. Yeah. And so we'll probably be taking a two-month break. Get that studio. Absolutely. Yeah. And then crank out another 12 episodes in season three. And uh, pretty pumped about that. CJ, what's on your mind? I mean, I think you summarized it pretty well. I'm I'm excited um, to get this studio built uh, for us, but also I've seen how like it could be utilized for other people in our church and uh, community, and I think that God could use that in some other areas too. So I'm excited about that, yeah. um, and I think that we like we've been saying all along, like this is far from like our full time thing. Right. This is like we do this on lunch and then go back to mm-hmm. our full time thing. Yeah. Uh, pastoring. So um, you guys have been super gracious with us and like the gaps of episodes coming out and things like that. Um, and I um, appreciate that. But I like we've been saying all along, once we get that studio built, I think that will help with consistency. Yeah. We're not setting up and taking down and, and um, having to share the facility so much. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and we we uh, work really hard on our lighting too, and uh, we'll just get a, be able to get that fixed, and yeah. I don't have to twist knobs and find warmth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so for those of you who are supporting us uh, with our Patreon account, we appreciate that. It has really made a lot of this stuff possible, the sound quality we have, as well as the equipment we have, um, and making it more easy to listen to, and those who watch make it something that is easy uh, to watch. So we thank you for all of that and dealing with our little break we had for a bit. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have the ability, keep on supporting us through these next two months, even though episodes won't be coming out. We will still be working on material, and then season three will be coming around the corner. And uh, I wish that we could take all of the cool feedback we've gotten and share it somehow, but uh, this God has used this podcast to touch people's lives and give them something uh, to feed their mind and uh, teach them more about who Jesus is and, uh, and how he changed the world. So. Thanks again for all of your support and uh, we'll see you next season.